Hello and welcome to another podcast from Nordea Thematics. Uh, here in the studio are me, Johan Trokmea, uh, my partner in crime in the Thematics team, Victor Sonnebeck, and also Mr. Jim Jokinen, who is a Nordea graduate uh, who is doing a rotation with us, which we are very excited about. Jim, nice to have you here with me. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, and uh, very good to be back after the, the summer break. And, and uh, what a way to be back, I guess, with this, this uh, fresh uh, and already on your mind report that we're going to talk about today, which is about financial targets. And I don't know, Ivan, just uh, let's jump straight into it, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. No reason to hold back. And it's been uh, a lot of our work. It's also been a lot of fun. We have looked at this topic before. We wrote the No Day On Your Mind report back in 2019. Uh, in that, we looked at target use by big companies in the Nordic region between 2007 and 18. We looked at the level of target achievement by the companies and we investigated the impact on value creation. Uh, and we looked at a example of about 200 large listed Nordic companies. So you um, could uh, simply say that it uh, was a big project, uh, a lot of manual labor, uh, finding all of these financial targets. Uh, we can say straight away that for some companies it's quite easy to, to find what uh, financial targets they have and, uh, and what they've used in the past. Uh, but for others, uh, for, for various reasons, uh, it's, it's not as easy to find their financial targets. Uh, but yeah, a uh, big, big uh, data sample in order to, to really get into it when it comes to what financial targets our companies using. Putting it another way, we know how to have a good time in the summer. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly right. So what is new this time around, Jim? Yes, so as said, a rather big project again this time around. But this time around we added four more years to the sample. So ranging from two thousand seven to two thousand twenty two. And also we had a quick gander, a look at what targets were used in each category. We analyzed also the changes that were made to these targets and also had a first look at the sustainability targets, which are very interesting findings there, I'd say. Indeed. And to begin with, uh, what we can say with certainty is that having financial targets for large listed Nordic companies can be considered virtually mandatory. Uh, looking at the share of all these about 200 companies using financial targets, it stayed at around the 80% level in those past four years that we added. But if we adjust for all those companies which have been acquired and subsequently delisted, after which they typically no longer use public financial targets, the percentage that use financial targets is more like 85%. And that's obviously a very, very big majority. For those companies who don't have any financial targets, who are large and listed, they will arguably need to explain why they are clearly the exception. And to give you listeners a feel for which are then those roughly 15% of companies that don't use financial targets, well, to put it in simple terms, you could say that they tend to be either biotech or offshore companies, those who have inherently kind of volatile businesses for which it may perhaps not make as much sense to have operational targets at least, or they are companies that have a, a US main listing. And in the US, we know from earlier studies we've made that there is a different culture and there is a different approach where there is much, much more focus on quarterly guidance than on long-term financial targets. Uh, and when we say long-term financial targets, you just wanna, wanna, want to explain what we mean. Exactly. The definition we have decided on uh, is the same as in the last report on financial targets, which is that the targets need to be at least one year or further into the future. That is the kind of horizon they need to have for us to consider them to be financial targets. Yeah. 
Uh, and when it comes to, to this data, uh, what are the most uh, common types of targets? Uh, well, uh, payout and, and the leverage targets, uh, which we uh, in this case call strategic targets, uh, are the most uh, most commonly used. Uh, and why we call them strategic is simply because uh, we would argue very strongly that these are targets that, uh, that are kind of designed to be met and, and, and uh, management in companies have a lot to say about meeting them or not. And, and payout is a, quite a simple one, which, you know, the, the typical payout target is some percentage of your, your net profits and you're gonna be able to to actually meet that target even if you have zero payouts because you know 50 percent of zero profits is zero so so in other words uh, we, we can kind of split up these targets into two categories the other one uh, would be what we call the operational targets and here we find the uh, the typical ones being uh, growth targets so, for example, revenue growth or, or EBTA growth, uh, margin targets, uh, but also return on capital targets. Uh, and then we've also looked at uh, how has this developed over time. So you, you mentioned that companies are using targets to, to, to a larger extent today than they did in the past. Uh, but we can also see some clear shifts in that the type of targets that are being used are different now than they were in the past. So, for example, uh, we've seen a shift from, from using net gearing uh, as a target or, or, or uh, equity ratio and moving instead to, towards a more standardized net debt to EBITDA uh, ratio. And on the margin side, uh, we've seen a similar shift going from uh, from EBIT and, and EBITDA margins to EBITDA margin. So so there are uh, there are some trends in this space. Now, when talking about delivery, for example, as well, the, the most common time horizon for targets by far is a co- continuous delivery each year. But here as well, we see a shift in the dynamics. A shift from these over a cycle targets towards more specific years and more specific time periods being used for targets, which could be seen as a sort of a more firm commitment to delivery, I'd say. And on the topic of change, uh, on average over this pretty long time period, we see in the data that 15% of all targets by all these companies are changed in a average year and that can range between 10% of targets being changed up to 20 or even slightly more percent of targets being changed but the average level is about 15% and if you translate that you can also express it as the typical financial target used by a big logic listed company having a, a, a life length of about six and a half years. So that gives you some kind of idea of what the norm is for how long you stick with the target that you use. When targets are changed we can see in the data that the most common change, which accounts for almost half of all changes by all these companies, is to just change the level for your target. So if you had an EBIT margin of 10%, you might raise it to 12 or you might reduce it to 8 or something like that, but you still have an EBIT margin target. That's, that's the typical change that companies make. After that, you have in a declining order that companies may opt to change the target metric. Uh, so you might go from an EBIT margin to an EBITDA margin or something like that. They can add another metric they didn't have before, or in about 10% of cases, companies simply drop targets that they used to have. And then there are a lot of reasons for, for why companies are changing their targets. I mean, incre- or lowering or, or, or making the metric higher, for example. Uh, I mean, we've seen some examples of companies having the same margin targets for, uh, I guess, like 10 or 20 years even. Uh, but then others where they change it 
basically every year, uh, just to uh, make it lower or make it higher. Uh, but we do have some some kind of structural events or structural shocks, uh, meaning that that companies kind of have been forced to change their target levels uh, or change targets uh, completely. So, so some examples of this uh, would, would be uh, oil price crash uh, in, t- in 2014. Uh, we've seen some some large effects uh, in terms of increased regulation on the banking side. Uh, of course, also leading to uh, to uh, changing types of targets and, and increasing targets uh, for the financial sector. Uh, but I guess most recently, uh, with the first the COVID pandemic and now the the macro environment that we are currently in, uh, we also do see uh, companies looking over their targets. I mean, one one obvious way would be to to have a uh, to to review growth targets, for example, during the pandemic, or or to review uh, margin targets, etc. Uh, so, so we do see a trend uh, of more frequent mar- uh, margin target changes since uh, 2012, uh, but we can also conclude that this hasn't actually made uh, made the achievement numbers uh, much better. Uh, in fact, they, they look pretty much the same as they did before. So companies are changing their targets, uh, but they're actually not meeting them uh, in 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 a, in a better way uh, than they were before. Exactly. And how have companies succeeded in reaching these targets is surely a curious question on all of our minds. And to analyze this, we use our lovely traffic light system, where the total target data, it comprises of the constant companies in the OMX NASDAQ large cap list, all of their targets and across all of the years in our consideration show, again, from 2007 to 2022. And here then, if the target is reached or even exceeded, it means a green score. If it fails, a red score. And if it fails, but is defined to be reached, say, over a cycle of multiple years, so not on a yearly basis, then a yellow score. So, so you could say that we have a nice way of, of, uh, of expressing the, the success ratio or the achievement rate, uh, and we have a less nice way of doing it. And the nice way would be to say that if we add together the percentages for, for the, uh, the targets that we classify as green, so those that have actually been met, if we add that together with the yellow part, so, so these targets that aren't meant to be met yet, uh, then we end up on an average of uh, some 77% uh, of targets actually being achieved. Uh, or rather, you could say, uh, not having failed. Uh, if we only look at the, the what we call the green part, so so the ones that have have obviously been met, uh, and then this uh, this total ratio is, uh, uh, or, or the average uh, over this time period is sixty three percent. So. I explained before the, the difference that we make between the operational targets and the strategic targets. And, and here you can have a pretty easy view of, of you know, the, the difference in achievement rates when it comes to these targets. So for these strategic targets, for example, for example, uh, capital structure or, or payout ratios, uh, target achievement is, of course, much higher. Uh, so in, in, in this area, uh, the target achievement is some 80%. Uh, and, and as I said before, I mean, th- these targets are kind of designed to be reached, right? Uh, you have more policy parameters. Uh, and then they are they're more like policy parameters than, than targets uh, and you also have more more tools uh, for, for uh, reaching them uh, but when we look at the operational side it's it's a bit of a different story right Johan? unfortunately a bit more of a sad story uh, and if we add up all the different operational target types so growth targets margin targets and return on capital targets if we take them together um, the level of target achievement for this entire pretty long time period for all the companies is no more than 47 percent so less than half of time. So less than half of time companies actually reach their operational targets, which is not that inspiring when you uh, consider it. Uh, but even worse, and I'm sorry I have to say that, but unfortunately this is the case when looking at the data, <laughs> I think you would probably agree with me that margin targets are quite important for value creation. 
for sure. Measure of profitability would tend to be a pretty critical factor if you are going to create value in your yeah. business. And the margin target is actually the worst target category for target achievement for the companies. So the level of achievement between 2007 and 22 uh, is 37%. But also, you mentioned earlier, Victor, that uh, it, it, it's the, the level of achievement of targets has not improved. But in the case of margin targets specifically, it's even worse than that. Yeah. I, I know I keep saying even worse here all the time, <laughs> but you know, I'm just describing the data. Yeah. And... and I guess it's, only. An, it's an interesting observation since we also see that companies are actually changing their margin target margin targets more. So Precisely. one would, one could guess or one could assume that they should be be a bit, a bit more accurate, uh, but that is not the case. Yeah. And, and 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 unfortunately, the opposite is the case. Yeah. So the level of target achievement for margin targets, specifically within the overall category of operational targets, has become worse since two thousand and seventeen. And and. Looking at that time period, 2018 to 22, it's been, in a way, turbulent. We've had very good years and very bad years. I mean, we had 2020, which was heavily characterized by, of course, the COVID pandemic, which was terrible for a lot of companies, for perhaps a majority of companies. But for some companies like technology, like telecoms, mm. like entertainment, it's been fantastic. Mm. But even for those companies who suffered badly during the COVID pandemic in 2020, the year 2021 has been a very, very strong recovery year. So... Our analysis would be that you can't really point the finger to the macro environment and say it's because this has been so difficult and so tricky and so challenging that the companies have had an even more difficult time meeting or reaching their EBIT margin targets. We would argue very strongly that the main problem here is that the companies have been unfortunately too ambitious in Mm. the levels they have chosen for their EBIT margin targets. And moving from the strictly financial uh, targets side of uh, this report uh, and into uh, sustainability targets, uh, another feature in our report is to have a look at this uh, at this uh, uh, this area. And why we wanted to do so was to, to I guess, kind of dip our toe into the water and, and see what is it or, or what is possible to do in this area uh, when, it, when it comes to our type of uh, analysis uh, and and look at what type of of uh, sustainability targets are being used by uh, companies. Uh, and obviously, corporates are focusing massively on ESG, and and uh, we would suspect that ESG and, and financial targets uh, may see some convergence uh, in the future. Uh, I mean, a business will need to be sustainable to stay viable and, and competitive, and of course, in the same way that, that you have financial targets, uh, we would expect sustainability targets to, to become more standardized and, and more common. Uh, but there's limited data, and, and uh, d- d- that's that's one of the issues with with uh, looking at this in a kind of holistic view. Uh, not that many companies have had ESG targets for that many years. So, so in this exercise on financial targets, we have looked at uh, at a time scale of uh, 2007 until 2022. Yeah. Uh, but that's not really possible uh, when looking at ESG targets, is it? No. Then we used to what the span of 2019 to 2022, and even there. We saw there's a many different kinds of ESG targets being used. But the area with the greatest focus being the E in ESG, so for environment. And with this in mind, our first look is at the greenhouse gas emission reporting and targets there within. Because they are the most key area when one considers how the greenhouse gas emissions drive global warming and climate change. And if you look at our sample of approximately 200 companies, uh, 75% reported emissions in 2019, while the figure rose to uh, 94% in 2022. 
So almost all the roughly 200 companies reported how much emissions or how little emissions for that matter that they have by last year. And then looking at how many had targets for their greenhouse gas emissions, uh, we can see this pattern that you alluded to, that this is a relatively new phenomenon. So back in 2019, four years ago, only 38% of the companies had some specific targets for their emissions. But that percentage had risen to 88% uh, in 2022. And if you just think about that for a moment, you remember that roughly 85% of the companies in the sample have financial targets. Mm. 88% have greenhouse gas emission targets. So as you mentioned, Victor, the companies are showing a laser sharp focus on sustainability, on ESG. We can mm. very clearly see that in that even more of the companies have emission targets than how big a share of them have financial targets. Uh, I think it's very fair to say that there's a lot of stuff going on in the space, right? Mm. Uh, but what is the driver? What is the reasoning behind this? Are we talking simply regulatory requirements or are we also talking about you know, a change in the, in the perception of ESG and, and, and how you measure it? And I think clearly both. The regulatory aspect is a crucial driver and an important driver and particularly within the EU Um, and we were also curious about it from the point of view of what sort of targets companies are working with for their greenhouse gas emissions Uh, so we took a little bit of a closer look at it and saw that 72% of the companies have pledged uh, zero emissions um, and used that as a basis for their target whereas the remaining 28% of them have made a pledge to be carbon neutral the difference being that they can then if they want to Uh, reach their targets to some degree or to a great degree by buying offsets rather than simply only reducing the emissions as such. And looking at it another way, if you take the different scopes uh, which the regulatory framework uh, used to describe uh, from where the emissions are coming, 55% of these companies have their emission targets for scope 1 and 2 emissions, which essentially means emissions from their own corporate footprint. And 32% of the companies have targets uh, related to scope 3 emissions, which are uh, greenhouse gas emissions across the entire value chain, including uh, suppliers. And the remaining 13% have uh, targets for emission intensity reduction, so instead intending to reduce the uh, amount of emissions per unit produced. So a uh, first look at sustainability targets, uh, and uh, I, th- I think uh, we can state that it, it's not unlikely that we will have another look at this in the future, uh, as it is becoming ever more uh, relevant, and, and, and the companies are using uh, sustainability targets to uh, uh, an increased degree. Uh, but uh, coming back to, to the financial targets uh, side of uh, this report, uh, one of the things that we were super curious about uh, was to have a look at, can we see a connection between uh, corporate value, so, so shareholder value creation, and how companies are, uh, are uh, uh, working with financial targets. And, and basically, we can start in the kind of almost philosophical way uh, of, of just asking ourselves the questions, uh, what do targets do? And the quick and, and dirty answer is that targets help to, to, to uh, share the view uh, from, uh, from typically management uh, of what the company uh, can be expected to perform uh, over time. It helps to be some kind of guidance to, uh, to outside stakeholders' expectations of, uh, of, uh, or on future performance. And what we wanted to do uh, in order to have a look at, at if we can actually you know, find some tangible value creation from, from using targets uh, was to look at how valuation multiples are, are connected to how companies are using.
using uh, using financial targets. Uh, and the simple answer is, is in our findings, we can quite clearly state that we see uh, a quite large value, a purely financial value, uh, from companies being good at working with financial targets. And to try and be a little bit more explicit in explaining how, uh, we wanted to look at how much does the valuation multiples of different companies vary? Uh, How high or high low are the valuation multiples over the course of the year for companies who are working very successfully or not quite so successfully with financial targets? And we wanted to look at the factor of how actively are you working with financial targets? And we decided to explore this in terms of how many financial targets do you actually use? So we compared the 20% of the companies which were the heaviest users of financial targets with the 20% who had the least number of financial targets in this sample. And across this long time period again, we found that there was a huge difference actually in volatility of the valuation multiples. And then we're talking both about EV EBITDA valuation multiples and EV sales valuation multiples. And we looked specifically at the forward, 12-month forward valuation multiples based (coughs) on the prevailing consensus forecasts at the time for each year. And the difference between the heaviest and the lowest users uh, of uh, uh, financial targets was 40% in volatility of the valuation multiples. Which is extreme. Exceptionally high. Yeah. Also in addition, companies using more targets and they had a significantly narrow gap mentioned in the 12-month forward consensus forecasts and the actual outcomes, as mentioned again, for both for sales and EBITDA. So having more targets essentially brought the forecasts closer to the real numbers <coughs> that were being delivered. And I mean, I, I guess it's it's not rocket science that, that you know, having targets and, and being a good communicator from, from the company side actually helps in guiding the market to 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 have perhaps more reasonable expectations uh, but i guess just quantifying it in this way and and showing for this this quite unique sample of companies uh, based on the data collection that we've done on, on financial targets it is quite a striking result that we can see so clearly mm. that depending on the number of targets that you have you actually get you know a significant reduction in in, in uh, first of all valuation multiple volatility uh, but then of course this translates directly into the the volatility of your 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 share price and, and your market value. So, so there are some some striking results here. And, and uh, another important finding uh, was to look at at what we've talked before uh, about uh, the, the different types of targets. So looking at the the effect from having the operational targets, so uh, margin targets or growth targets and, and, and similar targets. Uh, and in a similar fashion, we, we find that this is one of the most uh, or one of the highest contributor uh, to, to, you know, having a lower, uh, lower volatility in, in your valuation multiple. And that uh, the strategic targets, so the payout or the capital structure, um, it matters, but not so much. Uh, whereas the operational targets are, are the ones that actually uh, give you a lot of bang for the buck. And in our findings, it, it's quite clear that, that using these targets uh, increases visibility of expected future financial performance, and you get the benefits then of, of what we've just been, been explaining, uh, the lower volatility of your share price. Are you ready for a paradox? Mm-hmm. Because for one sure. of the intriguing findings in the study was that we, of course, wanted to seek an answer to the question, are you rewarded as a company financially in terms of value creation if you are good at reaching your targets? And it sounds like the natural answer should be yes, right? And I think it's fair to say that that's clearly what we expected. And, and 
you know, we can all breathe a sigh of relief in that sense, uh, although you have revealed that what we do is not always rocket science, Victor, which uh, <laughs> perhaps we shouldn't. But it, it is nice to see that, yes, the answer is yes, companies do get rewarded financially, again, in terms of reduced volatility of the valuation multiples, if they are among the best at reaching their targets. So we compared the 20% to the companies who have done the best in reaching mm. their targets with the 20% who have done the worst in this entire sample. But the paradox comes in the form of the level of reward that you receive in reduced valuation multiple volatility as a company from being among the best at actually reaching the targets is clearly less important than the reward you get from simply using targets in mm. the first place. So the reduction in volatility that you get from being among the best at reaching the targets is between 5 and 10%. Certainly meaningful, worth going for, but mm -hmm. that's not the key thing. The important thing is to have the targets. Would it be fair to go as, so far as to say that, that that even if you're not sure about reaching the targets or not, it's it's so much less important to actually reach them than simply having them? Yeah. And we can get back to that a little bit when we try and translate yeah. all this into, yeah. okay, how should you think about this as a company? But also we had a quick glance about how changing your targets could impact volatility. And... Our findings are that inconclusive because difference between those who change the most and those who change the least is a range between 5% lower to 20% higher volatility when it comes to valuation multiples. So not an entirely significant factor when it comes to a company's value. So I think one way of looking at that would be to say that uh, changing targets is not deemed as something negative. Mm. And, and, and the conclusion would simply be to, to if you need to change your financial targets, uh, then, then feel free to do so. But if we try to sum up all of this, this uh, data work that we've done, uh, you could sum it up in a way that uh, it's a strongly positive impact on a company's value uh, from First of all, having multiple targets. So simply having targets, that's a very, very strong contributor. Uh, second of all, uh, we want to specify that having operational targets, that's mm -hmm. the most important one. Uh, and and uh, last, you could say that being among the best at reaching targets, um, we can see some slight impact uh, in, in a positive way, uh, but the other ones are mo way more important. So simply having targets, it's, it's, that's the, the key one here. And also that changing targets is okay. Do it when you need to. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So don't 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 feel the need to stick with targets simply because you've changed them recently. Uh, we, we don't see anything in our data sample that, that suggests that you would get punished in any way from from changing targets too often, uh, if needed to, if you need to do so. And I think we should also just make a point of trying to put a number on it. Right. We've talked about how companies can get rewarded financially by being good at using financial targets and doing it in an appreciated and, and successful way. And the way this works is coming back to what we have seen in the data about lower volatility for your valuation multiples if you use more financial targets and if you use operational targets. And indeed, to some degree, also if you are good at reaching those targets. Uh, we have seen uh, scientific studies uh, suggesting that out of a company's share price volatility, roughly half of that volatility mm. in the share price comes from the volatility in your valuation multiple. So the other half would be related to the volatility in the underlying expected cash flows or whatever, and the half being from the valuation multiple as such. And if you have a less volatile valuation multiple, that would, in a DCF valuation approach, reduce your weighted average cost of capital. And if you want to try and put a number on what that means for your equity value, well, that factor in itself, that factor alone in, 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 in using these targets, um, would suggest that you get a roughly up to 10% higher equity value. 
So if you are a listed company, your market cap could be all else equal 10% higher from using financial targets in this way that we just described. One way of trying to describe this would be to really say just let's offer a checklist for a company how to think about financial targets. Well, make sure you have targets. Make sure you have more than one or even two targets. Use several targets and dare to use operational targets. Then you have basically covered most of the ground to be able to qualify for that potential upside that we just described. Choose a realistic ambition level, but don't be afraid to adjust it to change to modify your targets when you need to. And I think you can summarize it in in one kind of simple argument that we don't really see uh, any upside from not having targets. Uh, so so, so uh, if there's a discussion going on about, you know, it's it's too volatile, we don't really know the future, uh, can we really set uh, targets? You know, can we set a growth target? And, and, and as we've just described, uh, the actual achievement rate is not the most important factor. So, so even if you feel that you, don't, you have limited visibility of the future, and even if you feel that you can't really with certainty state what the target level or the ambition level should be, mm-hmm. uh, you should still have financial targets because the important part is simply to 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 make a best guess and to communicate uh, your expectations exactly and if you put in other words how do you justify not trying to gain that 10 percent upside for your equity value i think the pitch to the owners would be that we don't think the value of the company is particularly important and for any management team opting for that <laughs> approach we would just wish them good luck uh, with how that's going to be received mm. sounds like a difficult pitch <laughs> i think so and uh, Jokingly, obviously, this is not an irrelevant way to see it because we can see very, very clearly, uh, strikingly in, in the analysis that uh, you, you do get this potential reward from, from, from doing the right thing. With that, uh, I think we can conclude today's talk. It's been a pleasure, gentlemen. Um, nice to have you here and a fascinating topic indeed. Um, we will come up with more going forward, of course, and our next thematics podcast will be about our annual survey-based treasury study among Nordic large corporates. This year's edition will be called Treasury 2023 Brave New World as a pointer to the new economic environment that we all operate in. And we look forward to seeing you next time.